Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Just this week, Big Bird from Sesame Street indoctrinating our five-year-olds. Then the giant pigeon took to Twitter to announce to everyone how it felt about getting the shot. Not the first time these little felt communists have tried to infect the minds of our youngest and most vulnerable children. Decade ago, I called out Kermit, that cute little green monster commie. The invite's still open, Miss Piggy. If you or your emasculated frog boyfriend, Kermit, ever wanted to join this desk, it's free. Wow. That's, that's some good stuff. That is really good. That's not what I was expecting. That's it, some good writing. Yeah, that's from Newsmax, an anchor at Newsmax. That was very clever. Giant pigeon felt communist. <laughs> <laughs> Your emasculated boyfriend, which he is. Which he is. Well, because of the domestic violence. Yeah, she beats the crap out of him. I mean, she outweighs him by like 10 times. You got a hog. On the one hand, you got a damn frog on the other. Imagine the intimidation. That was pretty clever. So you got the giant pigeon Big Bird pushing the COVID shots. Uh, Elmo is always is on uh, uh, wearing condoms. He's big on the gonorrhea. Wear a condom. Uh, he's big on <laughs> trying to bring it I haven't down. watched lately. <laughs> wow. Elmo says put on your raincoat. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, yeah, if you haven't watched Sesame Street for a while, it is well woke. I mean, it is out there. Excellent reminding us that Elmo speaks in the third person. <laughs> Elmo you're, says. You're welcome. I, I want to sound like Elmo, but I'm sounding like uh, Chief Wiggum's kid from The Simpsons. I'm getting it all wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. I like men now. Oh, oh boy. So uh, coming up this hour, Steve Hilton. Always enjoyable to chat with Steve, the host of The Next Revolution on Fox, and a brand-new podcast and just a great conversation. That's uh, uh, segment number three of the hour. Stick around if you can. If you can't, grab it via podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. So I, I'm here to curse and condemn the New York Times. I'm also here to praise them. They, The old great lady has to at least some extent recaptured its sanity after the Trump resistance era. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what's going on there. I would, I would actually like to know behind the scenes what has caused the New York Times to make this shift. Did they get new people in there or did somebody say, hey, wait, 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 we've lost our bearings, people, or what happened? Yeah, I don't know. I'd love to be privy to some of those private conversations. But uh, what I'm talking about is that Brett Stevens, who is the token conservative there, he's not only the only conservative inside the building, he's the only one for two blocks in each direction, um, but he wrote and they published a review of the 1619 Project, which is being released as a book. And it originated and- in the New York Times. Absolutely. Hannah Nicole Jones, a uh, fake historian, twisted journalist, and liar. Do you know who um, hates Hannah Nicole Jones maybe more than anybody on planet Earth? I do. Our own friend Tim Sandifer. God, he had a string yesterday of like 10 tweets, including uh, captures of her many, many deleted tweets. Oh, yeah. She says stuff on a regular basis that is indefensible. It's indefensible historically, logically, just purely in terms of the truth. She is a crackpot and a liar. And then she she won a Pulitzer Prize for the 1619 Prize. Yeah, she'll tweet out things that are indefensible. And then when somebody calls her on it, like various professors or, you know, all kinds of people with knowledge on this, whatever subject we're on, 
on this particular topic. Yesterday, it was the dropping of the bomb uh, to end World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, she said some crackpotty things, and then a, a historian came back with a long explanation of how she was wrong. She deleted her tweet, of course. Well, when she doesn't delete tweets, she calls you what now, everybody? Come on, this one's too easy. She calls you a racist, of course. Anyway, so this article, uh, this uh, review of the 1619 uh, Project by Brett Stevens begins with the fact that the New York Times and Hannah Nicole Jones and... uh, the uh, uh da, 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 what was the editor's name? I've got it to here somewhere, but that they they stated unequivocally that 1776 is the date of our country's birth is wrong. It should not be taught to school children. What should be taught is 1619. They swore that up and down. But then when they were called on that, they denied saying it, they denied writing it, and they changed it quietly in the dark of the night. Which is weird, which since is, the 1619 Project is named after the date, obviously. That was their entire premise, that the real right. founding of the United States was in 1619, and it was all about preserving slavery. Right. And Brett Stevens says, readers can judge for themselves whether these unacknowledged changes violate the standard obligations of transparency for New York Times journalism. The question of journalistic practices, however, raises deeper doubts about the 1619 Project's core premises. And it's probably worth throwing in right now, and I know our friend Tim Sandifer agrees, that there are, it's a collection of essays, the 1619 Project, and some of them are excellent Some of them are worthy contributions to the historical record. They're well worth reading. They are terrific. It is the editorializing by Hannah Nicole Jones and several of the essays that are wildly inaccurate that infect the whole thing. Uh, Anyway, um, uh, in his introduction, Silverstein, which is uh, Jake Silverstein, the New York Times Magazine's editor who introduced the whole thing back in August of 2019, In his introduction, Silverstein argues that America's defining contradictions were born in 1619 when a ship carrying 20 to 30 enslaved Africans, etc., etc., arrived in uh, Virginia. And the title page of Hannah Jones' essay for the project insists that, quote, our founding ideals of liberty and equality were false when they were written. And Brett Stevens, who's a hell of a good writer, points out both points are illogical. A defining contradiction requires a powerful point of opposition or inconsistency. And in the year 1619, the points of opposition were few and far between. Slavery and the slave trade had been a global phenomenon for centuries by the early 17th century, involving Europeans and non-Europeans as slave traders and as the enslaved. There were many Europeans enslaved by the Muslim world at the time, for instance. The Africans who arrived in Virginia that August got there only because they had been seized by English privateers from a Portuguese ship headed for the port of Veracruz in Mexico, then part of the Spanish Empire. So those slaves arriving that location was convoluted and haphazard and just kind of the luck of the draw. In this sense, and for all its horror... There was nothing particularly surprising in the fact that slavery made its way to the eastern colonies and the eastern seaboard as it had already been in the rest of the western hemisphere. What was surprising, and this is the point that I will rest on till my dying day, what was surprising was that in 1776, a politically formidable defining contribution or contradiction that all men are created equal came into existence through the Declaration of Independence. 
As Abraham Lincoln wrote in 1859, that foundational document would forever serve as a rebuke and stumbling block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression. In other words, you know, slavers and those like him. It's why at the dedication of the Gettysburg Cemetery, Lincoln would date the country's founding to four score and seven years ago, 1776. As for the notion that the Declaration's principles were false when they were written, which is the evil, sick, toxic thing Hen and Nicole Jones said, ideals aren't false merely because they're unrealized, much less because many of the men who championed them and the nation they created hypocritically failed to live up to them. Most of us at any given point in time are falling short of some ideal we nonetheless hold to be true or good. Every day. Every day. These two flaws led to a third conceptual error. And this one is so dumb, I feel bad having to even respond to it. Quote, out of slavery and the anti-black racism it required grew nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. Writes Silverstein. Truly one of the dumbest things ever uttered. I'll quote Brett Stevens. Nearly everything that's made America exceptional What about, say, the ideas contained by the First Amendment or the spirit of openness that brought millions of immigrants through places like Ellis Island or the enlightened worldview of the Marshall Plan or the Berlin Airlift or the spirit of scientific genius and discovery exemplified by the polio vaccine and the moon landing? And on the opposite side of the moral ledger, to what extent does anti-black racism figure in American disgraces such as the brutalization of Native Americans, the Chinese Exclusion Act or the internment of Japanese Americans in World War II? Monocausality. Fancy word trying to blame everything on one thing, it means. Whether it's the clash of economic classes, the hidden hand of the market, or white supremacy, its consequences, has always been a seductive way of looking at the world. It's always been a simplistic one, too. The world is complex, sore people and their motives. The job of journalism is to take account of that complexity, not simplify it out of existence through the adoption of some ideological orthodoxy. And this mistake goes far to explain the 1619 Project's subsequent scholarly and journalistic entanglements. It should have been enough to make a strong yet nuanced claim or claims about the role of slavery and racism in America's history. And fair enough, I would say. Instead, it issued categorical and totalizing assertions that are difficult to defend on close examination. Um, and then he goes on some detail, but I thought that was that was really really good. Yeah, and like you said earlier, I mean, you got to tip your cat to the New York Times for allowing one of their columnists to write that article about something that originated in their own newspapers it was a Pulitzer Prize winner, and for to let him take it apart that way. Yeah, it's a devastating indictment, but they printed it to their credit. So I say, you know, kudos. Now, as far as I know, the sixteen nineteen project coming out in book form is those books are being purchased by lots of school districts around America, probably yours, and going to be. Taught in your classroom, are they taking out the stuff that has been de- been debunked by practically everybody, or is that stuff still in there? Oh no, absolutely not. That's uh, that that will be in there, and the overarching theme of it will be what some people call critical race theory, and others deny. There's no critical race theory. That's an advanced college law concept. No, it's the woke thing. It's the anti-racist Ibram Kendi. White people are the oppressor. Black people can never get ahead garbage that's being taught. And yeah, they'll use the 1619 Project to prop it up. It's a shame, but keep pushing against it. Well, you got a situation here where a 70-year-old woman was drinking tequila, holding a fake gun while hanging off an overpass on an interstate. Granny knows how to party. Grandma, what are you doing? 
Shut up. Uh, holiday travel is going to look familiar, like pre-pandemic familiar, among a lot of things we got on the way. I hope you can stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Another bit of fallout from the pandemic, people aren't going to the movies. To deal with the hit in ticket sales, some movie theater chains are getting creative, like AMC, which will start selling its popcorn outside of theaters. Oh, my dear, sweet, simple AMC. Tis not your popped corn we did desire. Twas the butter pump. People like movie popcorn is that we can drown it in an unholy deluge of liquefied trans fat so unnatural that legally it can't be called butter. It's golden topping, and it contains 100% of your daily recommended allowance of golden. <laughs> Movie chain will sell their popcorn four ways, with a microwave at home option in to-go packages for takeout and pickup, via delivery, and in mall kiosks. That's right. To save their business, they're betting on malls. <laughs> if that doesn't work, they're going to put it all on portable CD players. <laughs> they're amazing. You can listen to music while you're walking, as long as you don't start walking. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hmm. So unless they have found a way to recreate the popcorn that is so incredibly over-the-top buttery, because he's absolutely right about that. It's not the popcorn's popcorn. It's the amount of whatever that stuff is, hot, buttery-looking stuff that they put on there. That's the key. Butter Pump is a pretty good name for a funk band. If you want that one, you can have it for free. Or your sweetie. What do you think, Butter Pump? <laughs> wanna I'm watch, not sure about wanna that. Want to cuddle on the couch and watch a movie tonight, Butter Pump? Oh, boy. Um... Yeah, so at the kiosks, I assume they'd be giving you the popcorn and they got the butter pump there. So you're getting the full movie theater gooey hand experience. But if it's in mm-hmm. a package, I'm taking home to microwave and eh, it ain't going to cut the ain't going to cut it. That's not what I'm looking for. Well, and the point he makes is a pretty good one in that if I were ever in a mall, if I could get movie popcorn as I walk around, I would absolutely do it. The problem <laughs> is I'm never in a mall. That's the last thing I need. Um, and uh, speaking of delicious stuff, is there a Taylor Swift Starbucks drink? Uh, people are having trouble nailing this down. Taylor Swift had a new album drop today, Red, which I think is actually an old album, redone. Anyway, uh, Taylor Swift new album, and then Starbucks also with some tweets about their new Red drink, so some people think there's a Taylor Swift drink. I don't know. If you're well, super you into could easily have a, a tea swizzle. I mean, you got like, uh, you know, English style tea with some milk in there. You got swizzle in some, I don't know, cinnamon or something. If you just want to be over the top soccer mom, popular crowd ish, get the Starbucks Taylor Swift drink. All right. All right. Um, I mentioned this. Oh, we're going to talk to um, Paris Hilton's uh, cousin, Steve Hilton, come up. I don't believe that's accurate. Steve uh, Hilton of The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton on Fox News. I really enjoy chatting with him. Hang around if you can. I wouldn't mind asking him, see what he thinks about, because we were discussing this earlier. How did the friggin' Rittenhouse trial become such a cultural, a culture war thing? You realize the people he shot are white. You got a white guy shooting white guys. I, I don't understand where the how we broke into our usual camps on this. Well, I answered that brilliantly and eloquently earlier, but if you want to ask Steve Hilton, go ahead. <laughs> um, I gotta Just because he's got a freaking British accent, you think he's smarter. 
Got this story of a 70-year-old woman who ended up hanging off an overpass over an interstate with a bottle of tequila in her hand and a gun in her waistband, a fake gun in her waistband. She's 70 freaking years old. You know, the way I see it, any two of those three is super bonus crazy granny points. I mean, if you're hanging off an overpass with a bottle of tequila, you're full on a crazy granny. If you got a bottle of tequila and, and like a fake gun, crazy granny. You got the fake gun and you're hanging off an overpass. Full point. Congratulations on your arm strength to hang by one arm from an overpass at age 70. By the way, this happened in Minneapolis, not in Florida. She's driving erratically. Police think she's drunk. They pull her over. She says, officer, I'm trying to find my way out of here. Then they, they put her in the car. She got out of the car. Then she pulled out what looked like a gun, turned out to be tin foil and duct tape. But she got in her car and they let her drive off. Um, she was then found hanging off an overpass, drinking from a bottle of tequila, grabbing at the gun-shaped object in her waistband. Anyway, wow, but, was she trying to commit suicide by cop? I don't know if she had any idea what she was doing. I think she was out of her mind drunk. Yeah, so it would seem. Let's get that uh, that gal some help. She needs 70. Grandma. Why is Grandma not here for Thanksgiving? Well, long story, kids. Grandma had a rough afternoon. Oh, boy, I'd say. Steve Hilton, host of California Rebel Base Podcast and Next Revolution with Steve Hilton, uh, coming up in just a moment or two. If you miss him, speaking of podcasts, just get Armstrong and Getty on demand, either at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you like to grab podcasts. We're there. We're waiting for you. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Um, your videos that you have captured of these incidents that you call riots, they're very uh, slanted against the people who are rioting. You characterize them as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, rioters, correct? Because they are rioting in the footage, yes, absolutely. So, got me again. So we were talking earlier on the whole Rittenhouse trial thing. I, I, I've come across a number of people on uh, Twitter who say, I just learned today that the, the, the two people that got shot and killed were white. I assumed they were black. You would if you were just kind of barely following this because it's turned into one of those culture war things. Like it was one of those shootings where a white guy shoots somebody black or a cops or whatever. And I don't understand how this has turned into such a retreat to our side's culture war. Well, why don't we discuss that and other things with Steve Hilton, host of the podcast California Rebel Base, as well as the host of his Fox News show, The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton, which I watched on the elliptical only two days ago. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm very well. Great to be with you. That sounds like a great place to watch it, full of energy. And thank you for your contribution to my physical fitness. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's so a let's... pleasure. I'm always happy to be of service. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, what Jack was uh, uh, bringing up there, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the coverage of it, the commentators, uh, the the commentary. It's all tribal. It's so interesting, isn't it? And and actually, funnily enough, I was in that position where I hadn't, to be honest, followed it that closely um, over the the past few months. You know, my focus tends to be on California, certainly, and, you know, national sort of political issues, economic issues. I hadn't really paid that much attention to it. And, you know, the amazing thing is 
the way that this narrative is being pushed and everything has to fit into a narrative now and you really see that don't you from the from the media and the most striking example of that for me that i saw this week was i don't know if you saw this this there was this clip i saw on msnbc and it was one of their shows it was the joy reed show but it wasn't joy reed it was some other guy sitting in for her and they were describing what happened in the trial that day opening their their coverage of it and they literally said this was the this was the moment where you had the guy who was uh, whose arm was shot and you remember under questioning he said that at the moment when rittenhouse shot him he was pointing his gun at him and he was asked that question and he said incredibly clearly correct like it's really clear he said at the moment when the when he was shot he who was shot was pointing his gun at rittenhouse the, the MSNBC show opened by saying, and the guy who was shot with his hands in the air as Rittenhouse shot him. I mean, literally the opposite of the truth. It was, it was kind of amazing, like how brazenly they could give a complaint. And that had happened that day. It was their coverage. And of course, he did have his hands in the air at one point, but during the um, cross-examination, he said that he had his hands in there. Then he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse. But they left that bit out. And it just shows you, to me, that captured the way that this has just become exactly as you say. It's the culture war. We've got to have our narrative. If you question any of the details, then obviously you're a white supremacist and you don't want racial justice in this country, etc. It's unbelievable. So let's, uh, I think we were in agreement on that. I have been following the case just because I, I love observing trials. I think they're so much more interesting than TV portrays them. They're a little slower moving, but um, if, again, if you've watched the trial, the coverage yeah. of the trial, particularly on the lefty media, is utterly unrecognizable from the truth. Uh, I know you've been talking about the, the self-created energy crisis in the United States, <laughs> the skyrocketing fuel costs, and then we go on bended knee and beg OPEC to pour more oil. What yeah, are your thoughts on I, that? Speaking of California, as a California, I tweeted out a picture last week of me putting gas in my car for 20 bucks. I got four gallons of gas. What the hell? (laughs) It's unbelievable, isn't it? I saw that. I I literally saw you. It's just crazy. And, 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 And it would, you know, this is the thing that's so infuriating about it is that not that long ago um, with the previous administration, you know, we had energy independence and we had, and we had abundant supplies. And guess what? Our carbon emissions were falling. This is what drives me so crazy about it, the total kind of incoherence of the, of the climate zealots. And you had this summit in Glasgow where they're constantly demonizing Trump and America. You know, our emissions were falling. Germany, for example, who they all praise and, you know, wonderful Germany and Europe, their emissions were going up because Angela Merkel stupidly kept phasing out their nuclear power. And the thing is, like, we're heading into the winter. Okay, okay, California, you know, less of a problem, but in, in many parts of the country, you know, we're heading, the, the winter is, it's cold in winter, and people need to heat their homes. And, they, and, the, and the cost that that is going to be this year, the, the shock of that, it's just going to be horrific, the pain that that will produce for families, all totally avoidable. Biden, you know, they blame global thing, the pandemic, and it's all these things beyond their control, and they're kind of begging OPEC. No, they could ease this pain immediately by actually incentivizing and encouraging American energy production. But they're doing the opposite. They're clamping down on it, whether that is on fracking or pipelines or you name it. It's just, it's, it's so infuriating because, it, you know, I, I never want to give 
you know, I try and make arguments in good faith, right? You don't want to assume that people are doing things for bad intentions. But when you look at this, you can't, the only conclusion you can come to is that they're deliberately hurting people because they Wait, could avoid this. Well, because they want us to get us into uh, electric exactly. cars or bicycles or whatever? The proverbial right, causing a crisis. They literally are. And, and, you know, I hate to say that because you want to sort of assume that it's... But it's not, it's not incompetence. This is on purpose. They're doing it on purpose. It's absolutely disgusting. Well, as I've said more than once, if your house is on fire, you're not being an alarmist. You know, it's time for an alarm. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. as, as, as I often am frustrated by the Republicans' inability to, to convey fairly simple and powerful ideas to the American people, because the, the, the winter fuel costs that you're describing, it's no big deal in Fairfax, Virginia, or Greenwich, Connecticut, but where working-class America is scraping to pay their bills, it's an exactly. enormous problem. And we need to be able to convey to people, whether it's the, the pipelines or the oil sands or the fracking or whatever, only a year ago, we were energy independent, and it was cheap. Now, your your household income is being burned up, literally, and it's extremely difficult to pay your bills, and this is why. And, you know, the whole, you know, for instance, the Keystone XL pipeline, logically speaking, that was good for the environment. But messaging-wise, it became the symbol, and it just it discourages me that so much of political messaging ignores the facts and the truth. But, you know, I ought to grow up and just accept it, I guess. Well, you know, the thing is, though, despite the messaging, you know, people understand what's going on. And if they hear, you know, they hear in the news that, you know, the Biden regime and they're stopping a pipeline or they're stopping, you know, fracking, they understand that. They understand that. And then they, they you know, this, this thing about begging OPEC to pump more oil, that, that's become pretty well known. People are sort of hearing that all the time. And they think, hang on a second, that just doesn't make sense. So whatever the messaging is, I think they understand that this is not the pandemic. This is self-created. This is something that they've done deliberately. And, and they're going to be punished for it because you can't go around um, putting your ideology or your climate dogma and zealotry ahead of people's lives. People, you know, they're not going to stand for that. They're going to understand that actually... If you do that, there's something wrong with you. You know, you're an ideologue. You're not a practical politician trying to help 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 the people. Well, I've been in uh, this business for a long time, and we've noticed over the years how people react to gas prices going up more than any yeah. other item. And when everything's going up, including gas, oh, my God, the mood of the country a few months from now could be pretty ugly. Exactly right. And, you know, the other thing is, remember, that we talk about inflation generally um, and the price of everything going up. Well, that, the energy aspect of that is really important because it's one of the biggest contributors to your costs and so of course you see it directly in the gas prices and the heating uh, as we've discussed but also it is why the cost of manufactured goods is going up and that agriculture and all those things because they use a lot of energy and so their costs are going up they've got to pass it on and it's the same with the other bits of their inputs you know i've, I've run businesses you know in my life and you know it's basic you know economics you know you've got your costs and you have to make money and and if your costs go up, you have to put your prices up. And it's not just the energy costs that have been put up directly as a result of Biden regime policy. It's, of course, the labor costs as well, because for months now, they were, you know, months they were paying people to stay home, which meant that, it, that you had the worker shortage. So you've got to pay people more to come in. Of course, we want people to earn more money. That's a good thing. But a consequence of that is that companies have to put their prices up. So wherever you look, they're actually making the problem worse. They create the problem in the first place, and then they make it worse. I mean, it's just so unbelievable. 
Steve Hilton is the host of the podcast California Rebel Base, as well as his Fox News show, The Next Revolution, with Steve Hilton. I think it was Bill McGurn on a special report with Brett Baer last night. Bill McGurn of the Wall Street Journal pointed out, you don't need to spin inflation. You don't need to explain yeah. it to people. They mm. feel it every single day. Speaking of inflation, final uh, final thoughts. I know you're more into ideas than beltway wonkery, but what are the chances the awful, suffocating, build-back-better plan gets passed, in your opinion? Yeah, really interesting. It's a great question. I think, I, funnily enough, when they passed the other one the other week, my immediate reaction was they know that the Build Back Better thing is basically dead. And that's why they, they persuaded the lefties to, to drop their plan to put them together and only vote on them together. Because they know they're not going to get it. They can see what Matt, Joe Manchin is, is saying and doing. I think they've given up on it. I think they'll go through the motions. They'll do it in the House. You know, they'll vote on it. They've set some new deadline. I think it's next week. Mm-hmm. I think they'll, you know, they may well pass it in the House if you just listen to what they're saying. People like Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus in the House. It seems to me that they're going to pass it. The moderates will vote for it, and they'll get the Congressional Budget Office scoring or whatever. You know, they'll go through the motions. They'll pass it in the House. Then it goes to the Senate. I don't see any sign that Joe Manchin... Um, who, of course, they need. They, they've got to have every single one of their senators on board. They can't lose a single one, um, even if they get Kirsten Cinema because she's, you know, whatever she's objecting to has been agreed to. I think Joe Manchin's made it really clear. And by the way, he hasn't changed his position from the beginning, which is it's too much money, and we got to, you know, do you remember what he always argued for a pause. He said, let's have a strategic pause. He wrote that in the Wall Street Journal weeks ago, and I think he's certainly not going to um, let it go through this year. And that means it's into next year. And then the inflation and his, his big argument is we don't want to be putting more gas on the well, petrol on the fire, whatever energy you, you want to use on the on the inflationary fire. Mm. So uh, let's wait and see. I hope you're right. And then once you're once you're waiting and seeing soon, you're into the midterm campaigns and they're going to pass anything. Yeah. then. so my Mike, if you made me guess, I'm going to say it's dead. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Steve Hilton's podcast is California Rebel Base. Steve, it's always stimulating. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, this will sound like hyperbole, but I just came across the single dumbest thing said about the Rittenhouse trial. The dumbest thing yet. Got that mm. for you. I know that's not easy to pull off, but it's the dumbest thing that's been said a yet. Hell of a claim. Also, survey of what are the most disliked dishes on your Thanksgiving table. We'll argue bitterly over the results. <laughs> okay, something to look for. Let me stretch. Let me get my bitter arguing muscles all stretched out. Number number two is the most shocking. Number two will shock you. What are you, BuzzFeed and now? And if there was a video, we'd have a chick with big boobs and a tank top uh, next to it for some yes, reason. Yes, please. Uh, all on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Number two on the list. <laughs> Survey of most disliked Thanksgiving Day dishes. When cooked properly, no way. But the way it mostly I've had it in my life, I absolutely agree. So stay tuned for that. 
most disliked Thanksgiving dishes. But first, we got to do this, the dumbest thing I've heard out of the Rittenhouse trial yet. And that is a quite a statement. Merely dumb or dumb and dishonest? Dumb AF. Uh, it might be <gasps> dishonest in that this person, I don't know. It's somebody named Dr. Jack Brown who claims to be a body language expert. So, oh, boy. So, Good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you meet somebody who claims to be a body language expert. Next to dream interpreters and dog psychics, they're slightly <laughs> better, but not much. <laughs> dog psychics. Ah, anyway, apparently during the trial at some point, Rittenhouse showed how he loaded his AR-15 and used his hands to, to show how he loaded his AR-15. And this body language expert tweeted out, Rittenhouse displays a sexual hand gesture of masturbation when describing loading his AR-15. This is a profound nonverbal tell-slash-body language Freudian slip indicative, indicative of sexual sadism. That's got to be trollery. It's got to you know be. What? It's too dumb. You know what? I hadn't even thought about it. No, this guy's got 123,000 followers as a body language expert. Well, there are a lot of morons. And he's a lecturer and goes around giving lectures. You know, your company Two can hire him. morons. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of morons, is Joe's explanation, which is a good explanation for practically everything that happens. There are a lot of morons. You know, Jack, I have racked around into a variety of firearms, and I'm sorry to say I have fallen for the unholy temptation of self-pleasurement, and there is a slight similarity in those those gestures. I have fallen for the unholy temptation. (laughs) But I'm not sure it's as significant as the good doctor claims it is. Once I did, at a low point in my life. Oh, no. (laughs) But I have repented. Thank God. And turned my life around. Hmm. Uh, the most disliked Thanksgiving Day dish is cranberry sauce. Really? Yeah. I enjoy it. I like cranberry sauce, but you go over this list, it's probably the one one or two that I'd be okay with not being on the table. I feel like you have to have it on the table. It's one of those things that makes a Thanksgiving meal. Yes, Michael? There's a difference between canned and uh, natural cranberries. Absolutely. My mom had an old-timey grinder. God, that thing might have been from the... Uh, from the 1800s, that she would clamp onto the table and then we would grind the cranberries. And it was kind of a family tradition. Mm. But that is different than the canned cranberry sauce. I almost made a your mom and grinder joke, but I just didn't have it in me. Of course, when I would grind the cranberries, the the, the motion of my hand looked very similar to <laughs> sexual sadism. So who knows what I was actually up to. It's a good point. Uh, but I'll go through the list. Uh, counting up from 12 to 1. Carrots, corn, Macaroni and cheese, which I don't. I think one time in my life have I sat down to somebody's Thanksgiving meal and they had mac and cheese. And these are, I'm sorry, these are the most disliked? Correct. What's the matter with you? You don't like, if you don't like mac and cheese, just shut up. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody ma- cares. Mashed potatoes, I will punch you in the throat if you say that around me. Fair enough. Pumpkin pie, I will gouge out your eyes if you Pro- say around me. Reasonable reaction. If that is your most disliked. Right. Again, nobody cares about your idiotic preference. Ham, I'm going to knee you in the junk if you tell me ham is your most disliked. My God. Coleslaw, I love, but coleslaw, man, coleslaw is such a broad category. Sure, there's good, there's bad, there's great. It's like the one right above it, stuffing. Coleslaw and stuffing are things that if somebody tells me we're about to have that, I have no idea what I'm about to get. Mm -hmm. Because it could be anything. 
Yeah, it's usually decent, but, you know. But good stuffing is as good as anything uh, on earth. Telling you, the best I've ever had is the what my wife makes with apple and sausage. Oh, there. wow. Does wow. she cook it with the bird, or does she buy it from a box? Good Lord, Michael. How dare you? You've impugned my wife's honor. Why don't you just suggest that she's I, down on the corner making 20 the hard way? I have been... Out to, of a box. I've probably been, I don't know, 20 different Thanksgiving dinners that have been provided for me in my life by various people. I've never known a single human being that uses the box. Do you, You've you been to Thanksgivings where somebody uses the box for their stuffing, Michael? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. The, the young and 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 uh, and they wish her Satan, I suppose. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> well, at least he's stopped kneeing us in our genitals, accusing us of being Satanists. God, that's wrong. I would storm out of your home. Uh, number four, the most disliked green bean casserole. I don't really like green beans. So. Yeah, I'd rather have uh, about a dozen other green things than that. Number three, sweet potatoes. Number two, turkey. You're not cooking it right. Not right. So that's why I said I can agree with turkey most of the time because most of the time when I've had Thanksgiving meals in my life, the turkey's dry. So it ain't just ain't that great. But when it's not dry, it's fantastic. But I'll bet a lot of people, they're blaming it. You know, the, their experience with turkey is it's dry. And fair enough. I grew up thinking pork chops were horrible. Oh, really? Because my parents yeah. were of the generation that would cook them till you could drive a nail with it. <laughs> And the number one most disliked cranberry sauce, which is perfectly fine. It's like a dessert, for crying out loud. Just a little sweet with the savory. It's always A lot of that stuff, it's hard to get the kids to eat for Thanksgiving meal, but the kids will eat cranberry sauce. It's like a dessert. And then two to five varieties of pie. I'll just have a little sliver of each. You don't like pine stuffing. We are going to fight right there on your kitchen floor. We're going to be rolling around. I'm going to be reaching for a knife. Happy Thanksgiving. And Getty.